It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Jay Harwood for the special. This is an amazing conversation with Ron Shelton, uh, producer director of Bull Durham, and the paperback edition of the Church of Baseball, the making of Bull Durham. Durham had just come out, so it's been a great run. The film was introduced in '88. Did you think it would turn out like this? And I understand it. You had a hard time selling the rights to different uh, companies, and only one company bid on it for not meager, a meager amount. No, I, I was just trying to stay on schedule and, and not get fired. You know, I had no idea that all these years later would be this classic movie and I'd be asked to write a book about it and uh, I'd be talking to you. The whole premise, when, when Bull Durham came out, there really weren't a lot of baseball movies, right? There's no Field of Dreams yet, no For the Love of the Game, no League of Their Own. I mean, you were really the first one, right, to come out with a baseball movie? Yeah, they, people, uh, Hollywood is still afraid of baseball movies for a number of reasons. One is, even though there's been some huge hits, the, the foreign, there are no foreign, there's no foreign audience for baseball movies, except right. people say Latin America. That's not true. Latin America, baseball is Mexico and the Caribbean. <laughs> and that's a tiny market. The rest of it is all soccer. Uh, Japan doesn't bid on a movie until they see if it's a hit or not. Um, and South Korea, that's basically it. So there's no foreign sales. It's got to be a big hit in America. I, I think the thing that made this movie different, right, it really told the story through the eyes of Susan Sarandon, really the first time a woman had gotten involved with a, with a baseball movie like this. Well, yeah, that that was, um, you know, my, my idea was to make a movie that appealed uh, to people beyond baseball fans, but also was was a baseball movie like it had never been made before. It wasn't about hitting a home run in the bottom of the ninth. It was about the daily struggles and how difficult it is to get out of the minor leagues and to move up. And, uh, you know, what most of professional sports is, is not in the spotlight, as you know. And, uh, and, and so I wanted to tell that also from the woman's point of view. So I think that's where I started. I started with the idea of a woman talking, and uh, it just sort of went from there. The studio didn't really watch Susan Serena because they thought she was too old, right? And then it was a, you know, it was between Kevin Costner and Kurt Russell and uh, Tim Robbins and uh, Charlie Sheen, right? They were, and he, how did you finally settle on Kevin Costner? Well, Kurt was not available. I mean, originally he was the idea, but he was not available. So then I found. Kevin, because some friends, I'd liked him in a couple of movies, but he wasn't a star yet. He was in Silverado, which he was quite good, and a little couple other little movies. Um, and they said, hey, he's a good high school baseball player. So I uh, I took him out to the batting cage here in L.A., uh, where you put quarters in. We played catch on the parking lot, and then I put quarters in, and he started hitting line drives right-handed and left-handed, and I knew I had my guy. So um, so he was easy in that regard. And then, um, and he turns out to be a wonderful athlete and terrific, you know, now a big star. I mean, Charlie Sheen's a very good, uh, baseball player, as we later found out from 
from Major League. But he was already doing a baseball movie called Eight Men Out about the 1919 Black Sox. So he was unavailable. And then it was a long search to find Tim. You know, uh, Kurt Russell had the Mets connection, if you're aware. Uh, Matt Franco is his uncle, one of our former players. Right. And we, we used to go to Houston. Kurt used to come and work out with us to the Astrodome. He used to hit bullets to the outfield. And, uh, you know, and it, so he was a pretty good athlete of his own. He played double-A baseball. I'm a good friend of Kurt's, uh, actually. And uh, we've, we've made a movie together, and we want to make another one. You know, you know what I like about the movie? You know, I'm an old PR guy, right? And I, you know, I didn't, I had a lot of crafts to Davises to work with in my career. Not probably as extreme as letting a pitch go or telling the pitcher what the ball is going to be and hitting a home run. But I, I had guys like, you know, Keith Hernandez and uh, Gary Carter, David Wright and John Franco, who would tutor guys like Crash was trying to tutor Nuke LaRouche about what to do. I mean, is there, was there any model, you know, you know, the, student protege who you picked up on that from or which is a great PR lesson you know what to do and how to get ready for the major leagues well the, the whole idea came from oddly enough when I played in the Oriole organization um, and I talk about this in the book the a few years ahead of me there was a, a guy named Steve Dalkowski who had played who Everybody's former number one pick was through hard, right? Everybody said the hardest thrower ever. It was before Radar got Ted Williams, everybody. And his catcher in the minors was Cal Ripken Sr. And and he has statistics that are just mind-boggling. You know, he averaged 13 strikeouts and 13 walks a game his career. In one game, he walked 22 and struck out 21 and pitched the whole, you know. They pitched, they throw 300 innings, you know, in those days. And... um, but he was wild and he was an alcoholic. It was quite a sad story. And he finally, after like 10 years, got to AAA because he, he, he learned to, because a minor league manager named Earl Weaver told him to not throw so hard. That's a true story. Right. In Elmira, New York. Uh, and so he started throwing about 80%, which was still God knows how. And he, and he got to AAA where a veteran AAA First baseman who was 35 and a mature guy named Joe Altabelli, who, former manager, who, who later was my manager and then later with the Orioles uh, and the Giants, and Joe was the mature guy, and so that and 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 Steve was the insane guy with the gift, and so they they said Joe you're gonna room, we're gonna room you with Dalkowski, Dalko he was called so that you can mature him you know, and teach him the ways, mentor him. And Joe, I asked Joe, what was that like? And he used the classic line. He says, I roomed with his suitcase because Steve was in the bars drunk all the time and just would show up at the ball. <laughs> and, um, and, he, and he said, Steve was a lovable guy. Guys liked him, but he just, you know, he was, we didn't know now, then what we know now that alcoholism is a disease, but he, um, and sadly, just burned out. Uh, he just died last year um, in a home in in, in uh, Connecticut, where he's from. But the idea of the veteran teaching the wild young pitcher, even though that gave me the idea. Gary Cohn, when announces uh, worked at Durham for a while. How did you settle on Durham? I know you played in the Orioles system, you know, five years or so, but how did you sell on Durham to be the, the focal point for the movie? The producer was from Durham, 
and knew about the team. He actually owned a, a, a little percentage of it, a guy named Tom Mount. But I didn't have to shoot there. I, I drove all over the Sally League and the, and the Carolina League before I wrote the script. And there was something about Durham because that ballpark, that old ballpark of this was in neighborhoods. People would walk to the games and it was surrounded by tobacco warehouses that were now empty because, you know, tobacco was on the decline and, and the whole town was boarded up. It was in a huge depression, which it's not now. Uh, and I thought this was a perfect visual symbol of the minor leagues, out of the way, run down and kind of uh, neighborhood like. And uh, so I fell in love with the area, actually. And uh, I should have invested because the place has gone through the roof now. But uh, yeah, that's that's how I like Annie walking to the games from her from her home. I honestly, before the movie with now it's a boom town and it, you know, you know, your, your movie made it stay alive, right? The town and Durham. Uh, the locals give me more credit than I deserve because after the movie came out, the movie did help the minor leagues. I will say that. And they started taking off and the town started taking off because of their, what they call the research triangle, which is like a Silicon Valley between the three university towns. And, um, but my movie was in the perfect spot. So when I go down there and they, you know, in the new ballpark, they always say, well, I built it. Not true, but uh, I think I was, our movie was at the right place at the right time. And uh, I I don't have to buy a drink in Durham ever again, Jay. Yeah. But how did you work Matt Capcock into the movie? I, I love to be the, the, in a bar when they start dancing with Annie and the whole bit. How did you work him into the movie? Well, when I was in the minors, you know, Max Patkin would perform throughout the year, usually at a home game of ours and somewhere on the road you'd run into him. And and I loved him. And a lot of the players thought he was kind of corny and old-fashioned, but I loved his physical humor and just the fact that he was still doing this. You know, he did, like didn't miss a show for 41 years. So I got to know him a little bit, uh, um, you know, in the minors. And he didn't – we weren't really friends or anything. I was just a minor leaguer who actually laughed at him and – and like I had a couple of beers with him, but so when I wrote him into the script and then I called him out of the blue and I said, you don't know me, Max, but I played with you in Amarillo. I mean, I, you were in Amarillo, you were in Dallas, you were in you know Stockton, you were in Bakersfield, Rochester. And I flew him out and uh, we became good friends then. And I was delighted to, to kind of give him this moment that he deserved. When junior in college, you know, uh, second baseman, right? And he played. Did you think, when did you think you could turn into this, which would be your career? One moment, one film, or, I mean, did you have, when would you say this is what would go for you? Well, I, I was the classic uh, 10 year overnight success. You know what I mean? I mean, nobody sees all the dues paying you do with the writing the scripts and getting this made and that and hustling and, um, and then all of a sudden, Bull Durham, which was my first movie as a director, exploded, which I didn't expect. And uh, and people said, where'd this guy come from? Well, I came from 10 years of grinding work after five years of baseball. And uh, it's a day-to-day -day thing. It's still a day-to-day -day thing. I still write, and I've still got projects, and I still hustle them. And uh, um, so I, I think after Bull Durham came out, I thought, you know, I can make my living doing this. You know, it just reminds you. I you know I'm with. I'm a big George M. Cohan fan, Yankee Doodle Danny. Yeah. And the first part of the movie, 
they're trying to sell their script for Yankee Doodle Danny. And like every company turns it down. You know, Deetson Goff, I don't know, have you seen the movie at all? Yankee Doodle Danny? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Deetson Goff turned it down. And then Yankee Doodle Danny, you know, it became a classic. This reminds me of, you know, of your movie that, you know, you know, everybody turned it down. And now it costs over $50 million. And, uh, you know, it's, how do you think oh, the other companies feel? Any second guesses from people who you dealt with before? Yeah, they second guess, and then you make a movie that doesn't do business, and, and they abandon you. So it's you know you can't take that very seriously. Uh, I mean, everybody turned. I have nothing to do with this show, but Yellowstone was turned down by every network in town. Really? And uh, and now it's basically you know printing money. It's the Franklin Mint, and and there's you know uh, derivative shows off of it and all of that. A lot of movies are like that. Nobody. When Star Wars was shot for Fox way back in the day, the first one, Fox di didn't want to distribute it. They thought it was a disaster. So, um, you know, this there's a lot of guesswork in this town. Bill Goldman once said famously, "In Hollywood, nobody knows anything." And uh, you know, I mean, look at look at drafting players in sports. The hardest sport to, to predict a player that you draft or sign out of high school or college is baseball. You pretty much have a good clue in, in basketball and football. Baseball, nobody has a clue. There's number one drafts that can't hit an A ball, and there's guys that are free agents that become in the Hall of Fame. So uh, it's a tough sport. Movies are kind of tough to figure out what's going to work and what isn't. Are you surprised? You know, I watch MLB Nerdgrid a lot. Like every fourth Saturday, 9 o'clock on a Saturday or Sunday, your movies are still on. You, you still get residuals from that? Uh, yeah, they get smaller and smaller, but yeah, they come in. <laughs> the, MLB, the, MLB, Jay, the MLB version is PG rated, though. They have to, you know, because that's a general audience. <laughs> you know, you know, I listen, I'm a romantic car. You don't like back to the movie. Nuke makes it to the majors. Crash comes back, becomes a manager, sets the record for home runs, comes back, and Andy has a dance at the end. And it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's got a happy ending. It's really. You know the stuff. It, it has a happy ending because the man and the woman find each other. But he's had to give up baseball, his dream. So he, he you know, he he had to make a a big choice in his life, and uh, um, and that that was very apparent to me in the minor leagues. How you get to that point where you have to choose: Do I keep going? You know, for a cup of coffee, will I make a breakthrough at the age of twenty eight or twenty seven? Or is this it? And I, do I want to become Crash Davis ten years later? And uh, and I see that, and it's heartbreaking for a lot of guys. And um, uh, but it's the real. That's what baseball is. It's not what you see in the MLB. That that's the guys that make it. You know what I love? I did travel for thirty eight years, and I love named Annie. We are good to you know by the buses. There were Annies all over the place. Yeah. Well, that's the perfect name for, you know, uh, you know, can I ask you any new projects on the horizon for you or? Well, I, yeah, I have a Western that we hope goes a series next spring on AMC. Um, I've wanted to do a Western for a long time. The, I have a couple of baseball projects. One is about a pitcher for the Yankees who ends up in the uh, Latin American leagues uh, trying to get his career back and his arm and just, you know, get get rock and roll out of his uh, system uh, called Our Lady of the Ballpark. And then I have another one that's a newest script that's about based on a great, great 
book by Richard Ben Kramer, and it's about Ted Williams in his 60s when he's a fisherman down in Key West, in the Keys. So uh, I'm, I'm still got baseball on my mind, Jay. Are you an Oriole fan? Any favorite team? Or I, I stopped being an Oriole fan when Peter Angelus bought him because yeah. uh, I loved playing for that organization. That was in the glory years, as you recall. I mean, we not only, you know, I, I mean, we, you know, I'd have spring training with them and everything, but, you know, it was Brooks Robinson, Frank Robinson, four 20-game winners in 69, you know, on and on. David Johnson, they traded for Bob. You get to know Dave at all? Great guy. No, I mean, no but, but but I played with Bobby Gritch, who they traded Johnson to make way for, and Don Baylor, and, you know, and they had Belanger. They, they were Boog Powell. It was just – and Earl Weaver was great. And the organization, Jay, Harry Dalton was the GM, and Frank Lannan. That's where Frank Cashin came from, my former guy who hired me. Yeah. You know, yeah. I got your perfect next movie. Find out what Jim Palmer's secret is. For having black hair and however old he is, it's incredible. He looks like he's twenty-four years old. Yeah, I want, I want whatever that bottle is. I want some of it. Yeah, I don't have enough. Well, I don't have enough hair to put it on. Me, me either, right? Hey, listen, I'm a big fan. The, the book, it's a great book. You know, come and read it. I must have seen the movie at least a hundred times. And again, I watch it from a former PR guy's point of view. And I and, and it took me a while to get the message. And I've been doing it for years with like my players here. We have. Uh, you know, press seminars every spring. The do's and don'ts. You know, be friendly. You know, you know who was a, a friend of mine, and who Eddie Murray. I used to help me with. You know, Eddie's philosophy was, they're not your friends, but be friendly. You know, and and he was a sage too. So I was supposed to have a lot of guys around me who did what Chris Davis did, but not to that extreme. Well, Eddie's Eddie's a LA guy, so I'm, I'm a huge Eddie Murray fan. Listen, I know you're a busy man. I, I appreciate your time. I'll, I'll probably look for it in the movie the next week or so. I'll watch We'll Do Them Again. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for your time, Ron. I pray good luck with your new ventures. My pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. Bye.